Welcome to Dangerous Christianity with Dr. Christopher Rodkey, where we explore new ways of being Christian that go against the grain, stands up against the church when it's evil, speaks truth to power, and reclaims the Bible as a radical message of hope, liberation, and justice. Dr. Rodkey is pastor of St. Paul's United Church of Christ in Dallastown, Pennsylvania, and leads the sacred profane community, a post-faith gathering for those seeking to nurture a literate and misfit geeky, sometimes sneaky, as well as a queer-affirming and beer-affirming spirituality. All information mentioned throughout the program is listed in the show notes. And now, please welcome Dr. Christopher Rodney. verses this story on the first Sunday of Lent together. 
We also recall the story of Noah's Ark, that the world begins unnaturally making commonplace a new breed of angels and humans. And the world is no longer really for humans. It's no longer really to be enjoyed for primarily by God's people. So God floods the earth except for Noah, his family, and lots of animals, 40 days and 40 nights. The signs at the end of the flood are near is that the dove shows up with an olive branch. The water rescinds and humanity has a new starting point with Noah and his family. God sets a rainbow in the sky as a symbol of promise never to do this again. It's worth noting that in ancient Mesopotamian cultures, the rainbow was a symbol of violence of the gods. It represented the gods drawing an arrow in a bow ready to shoot. Following a bad storm, the rainbow was seen as a warning of the potential violence of the anger of God. But now, in the story of Noah, God transforms or reverses that symbol from a symbol of violence to a symbol of peace. The beginning of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Mark is an intentional reversal of the Noah's Ark story. Jesus is baptized in the water, and the dove descends into him. Remember, the dove is at the end of the Noah's story. Then Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days, just like the ancient flood was for 40 days. Just as the animals were on the ark with Noah, Mark points out that the animals are with Jesus in the wilderness. Then Jesus returns to preach the gospel, just as Noah was the lone voice of righteousness amidst the world gone mad at the beginning of his story. Noah warned that the water was coming. But what does Jesus do? He goes to the water and there calls out his disciples. Instead of hoping that people will come around eventually, like before the Noah story, Jesus instead seeks them out from the water and calls them onto dry land. But in this case, the dry land Jesus is calling the disciples to is not one of safety, but one of danger, one where they will all end up being killed in the end. But it is an offer for higher safety. It is an offer for eternal salvation. I hope you're seeing the connection here. There's a reversal of the Noah story in this early story of Jesus going into the wilderness. What tips us off that this is something Mark intended in the story is that he goes out of his way to indicate that the animals are with Jesus in the desert. That's an odd detail to bring out in a gospel that doesn't give a lot of details. But just as the animals were with Noah on the ark. The person hearing this story in the first century would have picked up on this pretty quickly. And this clue is there to be more obvious to the listener, that the animals are with Jesus just as the animals were with Noah. But here's the difference. God called Noah into a place of safety and watched Noah over the ark. In the Jesus story, God, as the Holy Spirit, descends into God the Son, and then he is sent into a place of danger. Not danger because of the animals that you would encounter in the wilderness, but danger because of Satan in the wilderness. Here's another analogy. Moses, you'll remember, also wandered through the desert for 40 years. That's a good connection here. Moses' story begins in a river and, and ends short of entering 
the promised land. Moses dies before he arrives home. But in between were all sorts of drama and struggles, including having to deal with the beasts of the wilderness. Some of you know I really like the story of Moses with the snakes in the, in the desert. You know that story? Where he makes a, a brazen serpent for everyone to look at and be healed. I think it's one of the weirder stories in the Old Testament. I like to call it snakes on the plane. But in the Jesus story, the beasts are not the source of danger or conflict. Satan is the source of danger and conflict. God and Jesus confronts Satan directly in the wilderness and is there tempting. Now, who is Satan? The character of Satan in the Gospel of Mark is interesting and it's complicated. But the main idea is that Satan is a demonic force that is supreme to all other demonic forces. And is, it is largely empowered through human conflict. Satan is the drive that humans have for conflict, for division. Satan loves division. Satan loves to pit people against one another. Satan divides Satan. That's what Satan does. Evil people always turn on each other, which is the climax point of so many stories from the ancient world in modern times. One really good example of this, if you're not following me here, is seen easily in the white supremacy movement. A few years ago, you remember in August 2017, there was a Unite the Right rally that descended upon Charlottesville, Virginia. You all remember that? This was the first time people heard about many of the different varieties of hate groups that have been brewing since the end of the 1990s, and especially increased during the Obama presidency. One of the things that was frightening about this was that all of these right-wing groups had coalesced enough and found enough common ground to gather in, in a stunt like that. Some of these groups, though, really dislike each other on, on uh, formal terms. For example, the Proud Boys didn't reject members who weren't white, but the Ku Klux Klan does. But they all came together in agreement about hatred of Jews and a belief that African-American and history and influence was taking over their schools for a few days. When it was over, you might remember, they tried to do it again. And it was to be held on the Mall Washington, D.C. But the fact was there was so much conflict after the first Unite the Right event that these groups split apart. And they couldn't get along with each other enough to carry tiki torches and yell about Jews in the streets in the Capitol. That's exactly how these groups operate. Satan divides Satan. Conflict breeds conflict. Churches split apart because of internal conflicts that are often based on selfishness or scapegoating or a desire to identify some group as unworthy to the rest of them. I once know of a church that was down to about 10 members and they split into five members into two congregations because of a uh, disagreement about whether they should keep the King James Version of the Bible or not. Divisiveness breeds division. The fight to make sure that you can attend church somewhere where you can be sure that you have an idea and approve of someone else's sexuality sitting around you is one of the biggest spiritual priorities indicating that something's not right in a lot of American Christianity. If division and divisiveness is what motivates one's belief that you are accepted and loved by Jesus, I don't say you're wrong too much while I'm preaching, but I'm going to say that you're wrong. 
If you think Jesus takes the side of division and exclusion of humanity, you're selectively reading the gospel. Because in the reversal of the Noah story, as we just heard, you've heard it once before that God excluded and punished people, but the gospel that we hear now is that the world isn't really in danger of missing the boat, but that Jesus is going to the water to invite you in. Jesus is going to imperfect people, people who don't yet believe, people he knows would probably betray him, people who will get it wrong over and again. They weren't the smartest group of people. Jesus didn't ask what political party they were or how many baptism classes they took or what their beliefs specifically were, though Jesus would challenge many of their misconceptions along the way. Jesus confronts Satan in the wilderness as the dividing force of humanity. Jesus overcomes it and immediately preaches that the time is now to repent and the time is now to build the kingdom and he goes to the waters to find imperfect young people to call his disciples. The gospel now is that you do not need to fear death because you are already saved by the power of Jesus' confrontation with Satan in the wilderness. And later on in the story, with Satan in hell. And then resurrecting from the dead is a sign to show us that death is not the thing that we need to fear, but human division is what continues as what we should fear. What is to fear are the elaborate ways we invent to divide ourselves, divide our communities and divide our families. Jesus was human and he had to face this, face this fact of reality. But Jesus is God too and Jesus had to confront Satan himself to truly overcome this division. So today we stand on the first Sunday of this period of 40 days of Lent. Remember, Lent began on Wednesday and it's 40 days. If you ever count the calendar to see how it works out 40 days, it isn't exactly 40 days because the Sundays don't count in those 40 days. The message to us ought to be at the beginning of this season that Satan is in fact real and Satan is with us everywhere. But in these 40 days, the floodgates of grace and acceptance and hope and love and radical ways of accepting and loving one another can break forth like floodwaters, and that the, that flood will be the goodness that is brought to us on Easter. Think of it like this. The God of vengeance demanding division is a God who has no real meaning in the practical sense of how we are to love one another after this reversal of the story of Noah's Ark. I don't know if you ever knew this, but there's a reason why, and this was true even in ancient times, churches that are freestanding structures on their own are designed to be like upside-down arcs. Did you know that? Look up. It's supposed to look like a capsized arc. The church is an upside-down arc. It is a reversal of the Noah's story. And the message is exactly what Jesus did, coming out of the wilderness for us, preaching, repent, build the kingdom of God in the present, seek out those who are outsiders, and the message to us individually is, follow me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so be it.
Thank you for listening to Dangerous Christianity. For more information about how to get involved in the movement, how to contact Dr. Christopher Rodkey, or where to find information regarding his preaching itinerary, publications, or how to make a contribution to his ministry, please refer to the listed show notes. Dr. Rodkey, again, would like to thank all of his listeners for continuously supporting and tuning into his work and message. Thank you.